Shalom Mishpacha. Shalom family. Mishpacha is a Hebrew word, means family. And we're the Mishpacha, the family with the Jewish heart. Made up of Jewish and non-Jewish people, we're the middle wall of separation between Jew and Gentile finally come down to form one new man. Getting ready, Mishpacha, to blow the grandest shofar, oh, the grandest trumpet in Zion. We want everyone, everywhere, to hear the good news. We want everyone, everywhere, to be red hot for the Messiah. Well, I have Mark Biltz on the phone. Mark has been a guest on Messianic Vision previously. And for those that aren't familiar with him, he's pastor of El Shaddai Congregation in Bonnie Lake, Washington. And he is the one that pioneered the research of tying the blood and wounds with the feasts and being warning signs from God tied in with the scriptures. And as a matter of fact, two people that uh, have wonderful books on this subject, uh, John Hagee and Perry Stone, all quote him because he got the original revelation. So I figure there's so many people, even the secular press, uh, Mark, is interested uh, in the blood moons, uh, and there's such an interest in it. I want to get the guy that had the original revelation. Uh, so let me take you back to when that started. How long ago was it that you originally got a revelation on the blood moons? And I know it was progressive, but when did it start, would you say? I would say it started in March of 2008 when I saw a total lunar eclipse on Purim over the Temple Mount. And for those that aren't familiar with what a blood moon is, uh, would you give us uh, the ABC of it? Well, sure. A blood moon would be a total lunar eclipse. When it's only a partial lunar eclipse, the moon doesn't turn red. Or when it's a penumbral, where the moon doesn't go directly behind the Earth, uh, it's to one side. I want you to get even more basic. What is an eclipse? Why is it red? Sure. What happens is when the Earth is exactly between the sun and the moon, the sun's light rays that go around the Earth's atmosphere get affected. The shorter blue rays uh, you know, get cast off, but it's the longer red rays that make it through and hit the moon, giving it uh, the red glow. Now, I personally have never seen a blood moon. Have you seen it? Oh, several times. And I... What did it look like to you? It was incredible. It, it didn't start red. It starts black uh, as it begins to cover the moon from uh, the left to the right. And then at the very end, when the last bit of light uh, goes out, it switches to this beautiful blood red that is just an incredible uh, color. It's, it's just gorgeous. Now, tell me, and it will kind of fast forward for a moment, why it's important for me to know about blood moons and biblical feasts and them happening together. Uh, yeah, sure. The thing that's incredible is if you believe the Bible, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 14, it literally says God created the sun and the moon for signs. We think it was mostly for light and heat. But we see the very first thing he mentions is for signs or for sending signals, kind of like one if by land, two if by sea. And then the next word is for seasons. Well, the problem is with our English translation, because the same Hebrew word they translate as seasons, in Leviticus 23, they translate as feast. 
And so what does it mean, fall or food? Actually, both are inaccurate. The word moed means a divine appointment, as if God uh, decided that he wanted to create the sun and the moon to send signals on his uh, divinely appointed days, and I believe letting us know when he was going to intersect human history. It's totally supernatural. Tell me, back to 2008, tell me the progression of this revelation. Sure. I was uh, on the Internet, and I saw this beautiful blood-red moon over the Temple Mount, and uh, I got to thinking about uh, the verses in Isaiah, in Joel, in the Gospels, in Revelation, where it talks about the sun turning to sackcloth and the moon to blood. And I thought, wow, this, this, these have to be total lunar solar eclipses. So I went to NASA's website because— Now, now just out of curiosity, uh, even before this, uh, did you know much— about astronomy and about uh, thing, areas like this, or is this all was this all new to you? I loved astronomy. I had a telescope growing up. I had binoculars, and I would always love to look at the the moon and the rings around Saturn, you know, and Mars. Uh, I always had somewhat of an interest. Uh, you know, interested in astronomy. I was in the Boy Scouts, okay, and and I think that. Was- well, I was in the Boy Scouts, but I didn't have much interest in astronomy. But go ahead. <laughs> but yeah, but anyway, so I I always loved uh, creation. I mean, Psalms nineteen, the heavens declare the glory of God, and for me, it was just I just saw the glory of God in it, and I would, it was just wonder. You know, I was filled with wonder and amazement. And so, again, thinking from a biblical standpoint that God said these events would happen, and because he created it mathematically, science can record 5,000 years of eclipses, I thought, well, hey, let's just go see if there's any interesting eclipses coming up. And uh, when I went to NASA's website, I noticed in 2014 and 2015 it mentioned four total lunar eclipses in a row. And that just kind of caught my eye. So I started researching their website and saw that they called it a tetrad, but I saw it didn't happen at all in the 1800s, the 1700s, the 1600s. And so I thought it was quite interesting. And I saw they were happening in like April and October and April and September. So I went to my prayer closet. It was early in the morning, about 4 in the morning. I was uh, getting up for prayer for weeks at a time at that time to pray. And as I was contemplating this, a thought came to my mind that I need to put these on the biblical holidays. So I went to my computer, and I switched from April, October to when they fell on the biblical calendar. And then when I saw they fell on Passover and Tabernacles both years in a row, I just about jumped out of my skin. And so I had to hurry up and go back and look. And then when I saw the last time it happened on these feast days was 1967, when Israel captured Jerusalem. Before that, right after they became a nation in 48, and I tell you, I was doing a hallelujah dance. Uh, Well, I can see that by putting those two together and seeing two of the major events in Israel's history just happened to be when they when they had these uh, blood moons. I can see why you did a little Pentecostal dance. (laughs) Well, well, then looking at the book of Genesis and seeing that God said he created them for signals on his feast days, I thought, i got to look at this more. So I I knew God is 100 percent accurate, not 99 percent. So I went to see if there were any interesting solar eclipses. And lo and behold, on Nisan 1, the first day of the religious calendar, I mean, this is the grand opening ceremony of Moses' tabernacle when the fire fell from heaven and lit the altar. Uh, Here there's the total solar eclipse on Nisan 1, followed by the total 
blood moon lunar eclipse on Passover, followed by another solar eclipse on Rosh Hashanah, followed by another blood moon on the Feast of Tabernacles in 2015. Now, a lot of people have taken your teaching beyond your teaching and have put uh, definite prophetic events that are going to happen. Uh, What is your spin on that? Well, I don't think that's wise to ever set dates, and I never set dates. But one thing I like to say is I don't control an eclipse, okay? I don't control the calendar. Uh, NASA says when these are falling, God says that he set them up that way. And all I say is we have to be watching. I believe we need to be watching and praying. Uh, Yet if we see what happened, two of the major events in Israel's history on these particular dates, on these particular feasts, uh, we say maybe it's something even more than a prophetic warning. Maybe it's beyond that. I think so. I think in one sense it really is, but I don't know when the event will happen. And the thing that's so significant, Sid, according to NASA, you only average one total lunar eclipse every year and a half. Here we have four in a year and a half on the biblical holidays. And the last one, get a load of this, is a supermoon. It's a supermoon. What's a supermoon? <laughs> it is when the moon, because its orbit is elliptical, it's when it's at its closest point to Earth. That is when it's uh, at perigee is what it's called. Now, sometimes it's not a full moon when it's at its closest point. It's at a new moon, so you don't even see it. But think about the odds of this. Here you are going to have a full moon at perigee. So it's going to be a super moon that is completely blood red. And not only that, it's at the closest point to Earth for the entire year, and it is seen in Jerusalem. It is seen in Jerusalem on the Feast of Tabernacles, when all the Jews are outside looking up at the heavens. And it not only that, the culmination that makes this totally astronomical, it also is the Shemitah year, the seventh year of the seven-year cycle, when God required all men, women, children, Jews, and non-Jews to be in Jerusalem to hear the King of Israel read from the Torah. Now, what is, uh, has this ever happened before, according to your knowledge? According to my knowledge, it's never happened before that you have a total blood moon that is part of a tetrad that is also the Shemitah year that is seen in Israel. This is just incredible. Okay, our time has slipped away, but uh, we'll go into more detail the rest of this week with uh, Pastor Mark. But uh, I love the calendar you put together, I love your new book called Blood Moons, Decoding the Imminent Heavenly Signs, and then the DVD. How did you get such a, I hate to put it this way, how did you get such a beautiful DVD? I mean, this is not a typical Christian approach. That's for sure. Well, World Net Daily and Joseph Farah, George Escobar did a wonderful job. The cinematography is absolutely incredible. It's like you're at a movie theater. The sound, the music, the score is just incredible. Just as a matter of view, Mark, uh, I want you to tell me what a blood moon is, how frequent they are, uh, how frequent they are on feast days, and how frequent they are as you you blew us out of the water yesterday, and you talked about not only uh, are they coming up on feast days, but uh, which is highly unusual, uh, but it's what's known as a supermoon. Uh, so if you could briefly summarize that. 
Well, sure. Uh, a blood moon is a total lunar eclipse. It's caused by the light rays going through the Earth's atmosphere when it's between the moon and the sun. And the longer red light rays hit the moon, so it looks this blood red. And according to NASA, you only get a total lunar eclipse or blood red moon once every year and a half. But here we have four within a year and a half. And on top of that, Sid, they're falling on the feast days, God's appointed times. This is like God's heavenly billboard trying to communicate to us and warn us of things coming. Now, the scriptures tell us that this is God's method of warning us. Explain some of those scriptures. Exactly. Well, in Genesis 1.14, God said he created the sun and the moon to send signals on Passover. That's basically what it says. He says, for signs and seasons. But that word for seasons is moed, referring to the appointed times like Passover. This is why in Luke 21.25, Jesus says there will be signs in the sun and the moon. Well, how could we not expect it if that's what they were created for? Now, you also use a phrase when there are four eclipses in a row. Uh, there's a scientific phrase. Explain that. Yes, the term is a tetrad. When you have four blood moons in a row without a partial or a penumble in between. Now, hey, Excuse me. me, you lost me. A penumble? <laughs> is that like a penumble? <laughs> <laughs> it's called a penumbral, and that is when it doesn't go directly behind the Earth, but just kind of uh, the Earth's not directly between it. But uh, here's the thing. According to NASA, there's in the last 2,000 years, only 62 times have you had four blood moons in a row. In how many years? 2,000 years. Hmm. In 2,000 years, you've had four total lunar eclipses in a row 62 times. But guess what? Only eight times have they fallen on the feast days. This is what just really increases the odds, is only eight times in 2,000 years has this happened. And look what's happened the last three. Here in 67, Israel's captured Jerusalem uh, right after they became a nation in uh, 48. And then before that, it was at the Spanish Inquisition in 1493 and 1494. And uh, so when was the last time we had something like this happen? Well, uh, only eight times. Has it happened in the last 2,000 years where they've fallen on the feast days? Now, have you done research? I mean, the two you mentioned, uh, 67 uh, and, and 48, uh, the birth of Israel, Jerusalem and Jewish possession just happened to occur on two of them. Have you researched the others out of curiosity? Anything interesting happened? Well, yes. As a matter of fact, uh, like I said, Christopher Columbus uh, was a lot of people realized was Jewish, and you got a boatload of Jews leaving Spain on the ninth of Av. All the Jews were kicked out of Spain and Portugal, and so here, 1493 and 1494. Uh, but you know what's incredible? There were solar lunar eclipses all over the destruction of the temple in 70 A.D. You can go back and research it. In 69, 70, and 71, there were solar and lunar eclipses around the destruction of the temple and around the death of Jesus. In 32 and 33 A.D., there were solar lunar eclipses all over the feast days. Now, I, I, I know you don't like to do this, but I'm going to put you on the spot, Mark. Sure. Since things of prophetic nature occur when all of these signs occur on feast days, 
uh, and that's pretty obvious. Uh, the ones coming up, your, your sanctified speculation, what might happen? Well, here's what I think might happen, and this is based on facts, based on history, and based on the scriptures. In Joel, where it talks about the sun turning the sackcloth and the moon to blood, it is given in the same context where the verse says God will judge all nations that are trying to divide the land of Israel. And here we have this big push to divide the land of Israel. And I believe these four blood moons on God's heavenly billboard is warning Israel not to divide their land, warning the nations not to divide their land, or there will be consequences. Uh, why do you say there'll be consequences to the nations for dividing the land of Israel? Because that's what God says in Joel 2. Uh, he's the one that says that. I'm the messenger, you know. And I'm just saying that's what God says. He's going to judge all the nations who are parting his land. So I, I see there's a, when you look at the odds, the, the facts of history, there was a war involving Israel in 48, a war involving Israel in 67. Uh, prophetically, there could be a war involving Israel in the next year and a half or two. So that, that's one. Uh, there's something else, but I'll just say that's one for, you know, that I think might happen. Oh, tell me there's something else. <laughs> okay. Well, here's the other thing. It's only if you're on the right calendar, and this is why that biblical calendar is so important. Uh, Christians need to be aware the prophecies that are prophesied will happen on the biblical dates, but if we don't know where they are on our calendar, we won't know when the prophecy is fulfilled. And one of the things that I see, and people don't know, but in 2001, that was a Shemitah year, and it was on Rosh Hashanah that the Dow fell 7%. And the Shemitah year is an economic reset year. This is when the debts were to be forgiven. Okay? And so what do you see? An economic reset. On Rosh Hashanah in 2001, which was the seventh year of the seven-year cycle, the Dow falls 7%. Exactly seven years later in 2008. Now, it wasn't the same day on our Gregorian calendar, but it's the same day on the biblical calendar. It was at Rosh Hashanah. The seventh year, the first day of the seventh month, the Dow falls 777 points. It was a 7% drop on a failed $700 billion bailout, resulting in a $700 billion loss. And so now here we're coming to 2015, Rosh Hashanah, the end of a Shemitah year, and we have a solar eclipse. So I'm saying there is a good possibility we could have a global economic catastrophe. This could be our third strike. Well, you know, speaking about dividing up the land, and obviously Joel makes it very clear uh, that the judgment of the nations in the last days, as Joel chapter 3, will be based on one fact, and actually one fact alone, dividing up the land of Israel. But you know what I've noticed? Every war that Israel's had in modern times, it has not started but every war that Israel has had in modern, modern times has ended up with Israel having more land. So that's my, my uh, intuitive spiritual spin. Israel will end up with more land when this is all over. I totally agree. I think that's what's going to happen. Uh, and I think Israel could be the safest place to be. Well, uh, before, we, uh, rep well before we tell people you represent the Israeli Chamber of Commerce, no, I'm just teasing. Um, I want you to tell me about your book and your DVD series called Blood Moons, Decoding the Imminent Heavenly Signs. 
Yes, I would love to. The book is so much more than just about blood moons. I go into how every Hebrew letter is a sign, and the Hebrew word for letter is the same Hebrew word for sign. And I go into the ancient uh, Paleo-Hebrew or Proto-Canaanite, where every letter was a picture, and I show how, how Jesus, Yeshua, is in every letter. And uh, I, go, I go through some of the letters. Uh, but then I also go into replacement theology. And uh, how that is so unacceptable and unbiblical. And, and then I go into the calendar. And, and there are so many Christians that feel God is finished with the Jew. God is finished with the land of Israel. Um, they're in for a big shock. They don't know that all events at his first coming were involving the land of Israel. And all events at his return involve that same land. He is going to return to Israel. I mean, they are going to be in a boat that'll be rudderless with that, with that understanding. Oh, oh, yes, I totally agree. And here's something that how I kind of end the book that I think is so amazing. The book of Ruth, I believe, is very prophetic. Ruth and Orpah were non-Jews grafted into Israel. So I think they represent the church. And what do you see? Ruth, whose name means friend, works, joins the Jew, works the harvest from Passover to Pentecost, from the barley to the wheat, and ends up bringing forth King David and the Messiah through King David. Orpha, her name means to turn the back of the neck, and she turned her back on the Jew and went back to her pagan gods. I really believe prophetically in the book of Ruth, the dividing line in the church is going to be the Ruth church who joins the Jew and works the harvest and brings in the Messiah versus the church, the Orpha church, that turns her back on Israel, joins the one world church. Okay, quickly, tell me about the DVD. Yes, the DVD, the cinematography is absolutely incredible. George Escobar did phenomenal. It's like a regular movie. The musical score is just incredible. Uh, the, the scenery, oh my goodness, the, they're going to love the DVD. It's just incredible. Now, in order for you to... No, I'll tell you what, Mark. I, I, I want to go back to the first time you taught this after the revelation in your congregation. What effect did it have on the members of your congregation? Well, it was shock and awe. That's all I can say, shock and awe, and even to me as well. And uh, even as we had discussed earlier, this is kind of like progressive revelation. The Holy Spirit just kind of constantly just revealing more and more things as we go. And since 2008, when I discovered this, and that's when uh, our congregation really took off. We were like, oh, 280, 300 people, and then we jumped up to about double, to 600. Well, how did it become a book so quickly? Well, uh, I, you know, it's amazing. I was giving uh, the notes away from that first service uh, just on our website. Anyone could read it, and it was just going like wildfire, and four or five other people writing books on my material. And then uh, Joseph R. with WorldNet Daily called me and said, Pastor Mark, you're the one that knows all this. You, ha you know the science and the meat and the potatoes. Why don't you write a book? So this was last October, and so I said, well, okay, what do you need? And he said, I need you to write 60,000 words in the next month. <laughs> Put it all together for me. So I said, well, okay, I have everything you know, over the years, so I compiled it all and uh, put the book out, and it, it, it was released in March. And now, Mark, you are such a conservative man by nature and a teacher by nature that I would really be curious to get your spin 
on whether, I mean, and every good believer says Jesus is going to return in their lifetime. But in your innermost being, based on your scholarship, what do you believe? I believe we are that generation, no doubt in my mind. Uh, and I base a lot of that on Psalms 102, where it talks about when the Lord shall build up Zion, that's when he'll appear in his glory. Well, Zion's another name for Jerusalem, and it's been back in Israel's hands in 67, and it's been being built up with all these settlements that the world is so upset about. And in the next verse, it says, this is being written for the generation to come. But in Hebrew, the word's akaron, and it means the terminal generation, the last generation. Now, I don't know how long a generation is, but uh, I believe that we are that generation. Fair enough. Now, you state... If we throw out the feast days, then we have thrown out the ring decoder. Uh, when uh, I was young, they used to sell these little decoder rings uh, where you could figure out the answers to, to questions. Uh, explain to people that don't know about that. Oh, yeah. I love that. Man, when I was growing up, I loved the Hardy Boys, Nancy Drew, you know, all of those uh, detective things and coming up with secret codes. And I had my own decoder ring as well. And the thing that I found, it goes back to the, the feast days. God said he created the sun and the moon to send signals on his feast days. And see here, the Muslim calendar is based totally on the moon. The calendar the world uses is based totally on the sun. But God said in Genesis, let them be for seasons, days, and years, both the sun and the moon. So that means he's using the Jewish calendar for intersecting human history, for sending his signals. So if, if we don't understand his feast days, we won't understand how to decode when he's trying to talk to us. I liken it to a baseball coach who tips his hat for the base runner to steal. If the base runner doesn't know the code or the signal, he's going to miss an opportunity. So to me, these feasts literally, in Hebrew, the word moed means a divine appointment. And then that word convocation, the Hebrew word is mikra, and it implies more than an assembly. It's a dress rehearsal. And so I ask everyone, do you want to be at the wedding of the lamb? And they all go, yes. And then I say, well, why don't you want to be at the dress rehearsal for the wedding? Briefly, why are the first feasts mentioned in the Bible called the spring feasts, dress rehearsals of the first coming of Jesus? And why are the fall feasts, the last feasts mentioned in the Bible, dress rehearsals of the return of Jesus? And you state in your book that his first coming and his return are going to be fulfilled to the day and hour of his coming through the feasts. Yes, it's absolutely incredible. You know, I tell people in Revelation, it said Jesus was slain from the foundation of the world. What that means is it was planned out by the Father from the very beginning. It's not like Jesus died and the Father goes, oh, let's go to plan B and resurrect him, <laughs> you know. Uh, he even had David write the hymns that were going to be sung at his son's funeral. That's why the Psalms were sung. And to give you an idea, Jesus did not die on any particular day. He died on Nisan 14, on Passover. And in the Gospels, it says he was bound to the cross the third hour of the day. Well, that's nine in the morning, the time of the morning sacrifice. He died at uh, uh, three in the afternoon. 
and the night. Uh, what, what, what you're showing is he was the the animal sacrifice on that day was such a precise shadow of Jesus that even the timing was the same. It's incredible. At the very moment the high priest is binding the Passover lamb to the altar, they're binding Yeshua to the cross, and they're singing Psalms 118, the Hallel, bind the sacrifice with cords, even to the horns of the altar. Can you imagine? Josephus says there are over two million Jews in Jerusalem for Passover. Here's this two million member choir. Jesus is hearing them all seeing bind the sacrifice with cords at the very moment they're binding him to the cross, and they're binding the Passover lamb to the altar. And, and you know, it wasn't like a modern Jew today or, or, or a Gentile Christian today. He understood exactly. He understood he was the same sacrifice uh, that all those uh, years they were doing the shadow of. Yes, and they were singing the song for thousands of years before, you know, before David wrote it. Here they're singing these songs on Passover. What are they singing? Psalms 118, the right hand of the Lord is lifted up. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. You know, I mean, this is incredible. Oh, I love the part of Psalm 118, which says the stone which the builders rejected, the builders were the Jewish people. It's become the chief cornerstone. I like that part. Well, yes, because when it says they sang a hymn and went over to the Mount of Olives, and where he was betrayed and rejected, that is exactly the last hymn that they sang, was the fact that here is the stone the builders rejected. It's incredible. And so if he became the Passover lamb on Passover to the hour, the next day he's buried on unleavened bread. Then he rises on the Jewish feast of first fruits, becoming the first fruits of the resurrection. And then most Christians don't know that the Jews have been keeping Shavuot or Pentecost for 1,500 years before Acts. And so, and what did Peter say? These guys aren't drunk. It's the third hour of the day. Well, that's nine in the morning. Again, time of the morning sacrifice is exactly when it happened. You know, I understand when Jews and Gentiles that are believers in the Messiah start seeing how precise God is, uh, why it, it, it actually kicks their faith into another gear. Oh, my goodness. It, it's, it's like adding nitrogen. I mean, it's... Uh, what, what are you seeing on people that wander into your congregation and catch this for the first time? Uh, how do they react? Well, I tell you what, it's the same reaction I've heard year after year. Everyone is shock and awe, and they say, we've been robbed. We've been robbed. Why haven't we heard this before? You know, and in Jeremiah, it says the Gentiles are going to come and say we've inherited lies and vanity and things that don't profit. You know, and so for me, the, the greatest revelation is being on the biblical calendar, which is why we have this calendar. But do you know, Sid, that two years from now, Easter is a month before Passover. How do you celebrate the resurrection a month before he dies? Uh, we're not even on the right calendar. Well... Now, our time has slipped away. Tell me about your book and this amazing DVD. It's not your typical Christian DVD. It, it is a, a top secular DVD making these principles so simple. Everyone that gets the book and DVD will totally understand it. Tell me what, the, what they'll understand from the book and DVD. 
sure. What they'll understand is uh, how wrong replacement theology is. They'll understand how to uh, understand the signs that God sends. Even the Hebrew letters are signs. They'll understand the science behind all of this and the math. Uh, they'll understand what we are to do. And the DVD is just incredible cinematography where, uh, you know, he just shows all of these uh, the eclipses and the different things that are going on. And, and then the book talks about the, in the DVD about how the importance of God's appointed time. And then, of course, you go into the biblical feast and you explain how precisely uh, uh, they occur, uh, which is going to do nothing but increase uh, your awe of God. But I love your teaching on the blood moons. Tell me some scripture in reference to the blood moons, why we should know about them. Well, uh, what jumps to my mind is Luke twenty-one twenty-five, where Jesus says, there will be signs in the sun and the moon. And the amazing thing about the sun and the moon, they speak in every language. You don't have to have an interpreter. Okay, every language understands the sun and the moon and an eclipse. They have for history that God is trying to communicate. And when we see they fall on the feast days, that's when they have the great significance. And so we, the whole key is to understanding what God is saying is when these eclipses fall on his appointed time. Tell me one last thought for someone that says God is finished with the Old Testament. All we need is the New Testament. What would you say to that person? <clears throat> well, I would ask him if God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the other thing I would say is when did he become God's editor? I mean, God is the what? I, I actually, what I'd like to say is, did you know the first church only had one Bible? And I'll give you a clue. It wasn't the New Testament. And it did pretty good for the first church. Oh, we're out of time. Listen, the book, DVD, and then you really need this, uh, the special art of 15-month calendar that has all the blood moons and all, all the events that occurred on these dates throughout history and what the feasts are for a gift of $49. Call our order-only line, 1-800-447-2697, 1-800-447-2697. You explained on yesterday's broadcast that a key scripture is Leviticus chapter 23, verse 2, in which God is talking about his feast, and he uses the English words of like convocation in that sentence, which actually means dress rehearsals. Dress rehearsals of what? His first coming and his return. Who wouldn't want to be in a dress rehearsal of his first coming and, the, and his return? You know what? I have an idea, Mark. People that uh, love God with all of their heart and don't understand the dress rehearsals will miss his return just as so many Jews missed his first coming. Yes, and what I think is so important <clears throat> to bring out is that it says these are the feasts of the Lord. He says even these are my feasts. So we have to realize these are God's appointed times, and he welcomes the one new man, Jew and Gentile, to come to his feast, just like in the parables where he invites all these people to come. Now, he says these are my appointed times. Uh, what does that mean, appointed times? For me, it's like God has a daytimer. Okay, this is when he wants to intersect with us, with mankind. 
just like if you had a boss, if he said he wanted to meet you at 5 o'clock on Friday and you said, no, how about 2 o'clock on Tuesday, you're not going to have a job for very long. Uh, God is the creator of the universe, and he sets the time to meet with us. And these are holy dress rehearsals, as you said, for uh, the time when he's going to miraculously, supernaturally intersect human history. Why wouldn't we want to be there? And so I really believe the fall feasts will be fulfilled on the day, just like they were fulfilled uh, to the day of the spring feast. Okay. Uh, speaking of the feast, let's talk about in detail on this day, uh, the spring feast, the, his first coming. And I mean, it's so specific. Uh, and, and by the way, is there anyone listening to me that would not like to sit in on a dress rehearsal? of the return of Jesus, there would be no, uh, no big questions about what's going on if you've seen the dress rehearsal. So explain the dress rehearsal of God's moed, or feast, which means in Hebrew, his appointed time. Tell me about God's appointment book for the first coming of Jesus. Well, sure, I'd love to, Sid. Thanks. On Passover, what do we see? Jesus didn't die just any random day. This was planned out from the beginning of time, that he would die on Nisan 14 on Passover, being bound to the cross at the time of the morning sacrifice at 9 in the morning, dying at 3 in the afternoon at the time of the evening sacrifice, being put in the earth, being buried on the Feast of Unleavened Bread, Nisan 15, rising on the Feast of first fruits, and then the Spirit being poured out at the time of the morning sacrifice on Shavuot, or for the Feast of Pentecost, the Jews had always been celebrating. A total dress rehearsal, not only to the day, but to the very hour. It's just incredible, God's impeccable timing. For example, God even had David write the song that was going to be sung at his son's funeral. It was Psalms 118. So what do we find? Uh, even the night before, when... The, the, he was betrayed and rejected. It says at the Last Supper they sang a hymn and went over to the Mount of Olives. I know the words to that song. Most Christians are surprised. But they, they even have the hymn book. They would sing what's called the Hallel, Psalms 113 through Psalms 118. So the final hymn they sang before he was betrayed and rejected was Psalms 118, where it says, This is the stone the builders have rejected. The following morning then, when he's being bound to the cross, again, Two million people, Josephus records, was the choir that was singing, and I could hear their voices ringing all through the valleys uh, in Jerusalem. And they're singing at nine in the morning, bind the sacrifice with cords, even to the horns of the altar. This is the very moment Jesus is being bound to the cross and the Passover lamb to the horns of the altar. And then at three in the afternoon, they're also singing it as it goes dark from noon until three. It's pitch black. I can just see him quaking with fear, wondering this supernatural event, and they can't read the words, but they do know them. And they're singing, the, ha the right hand of the Lord is lifted up, you know, and then he dies at three in the afternoon, the time of the evening sacrifice. Uh, this is just totally incredible to me. And then, you know, obviously on unleavened bread, the very day all the firstborn of the Egyptians were buried, the firstborn of God is buried. And then he rose on first fruits. This is just too incredible to me. Now, what is first fruits? Well, first fruits 
if you remember, Jesus says he was the first fruits of the resurrection. And the first fruits uh, was the they were to bring the first fruits of the barley harvest to the temple, uh, representing uh, giving to God the first fruits, the best of what they had. And here Jesus becoming the first fruits of the resurrection. Here he is, wait while the everyone on earth is waving the sheaf of first fruits. I can see Jesus standing before the throne in heaven, waving his hand, saying, "Here I am, the sheaf of the first fruits offering." What about the last of the spring feasts? What was Shavuot, or in Greek, Pentecost? Yes, and then what happens after that first fruits offering is what's called the counting of the Omer. Just like when people get all excited waiting for grandma or grandpa to come or some big event, they begin to count the days. Well, God had them count the days uh, from the feast of first fruits of uh, the barley harvest to the feast of the first fruits of the wheat harvest, which is known as Shavuot or the feast of weeks. And so here they're all counting. And what do we find on the 40th day of the counting of the Omer is when the Lord ascended and told him to wait just 10 more days for the feast of Shavuot. And what do we see at night in the morning, the time of the morning sacrifice, the spirit is poured out. And uh, it's just amazing. Every, they're all gathered together in the temple at this time, and they're reading the book of Ruth about Jews and Gentiles coming together. And they're reading Exodus 19 about the Spirit of God being poured out on Mount Sinai. And here they are in the temple gathered together when the Spirit is poured out. Absolutely fascinating when you see God's impeccable timing. You know, when you read the New Testament, if you have zero knowledge of what the Jewish customs were, zero knowledge of what was going on that day, you're going to miss a whole lot of what was happening. Oh, my goodness. It's incredible. You're going to miss a whole lot. Even, for example, I love, I love to bring out the Amidah prayer, the standing prayer, which is a perfect example of, if you don't know the context. Here, when Peter and John said, silver and gold, we have none, but what we do have, rise up and walk, that man, it said, had been lame from birth, and he was over 40 years old, which means Jesus had walked by him every single time he went into the temple and never healed him. And yet it was at the standing prayer that he, he was able to stand. Here, every single day for 40 years, he's praying that he could stand for the standing prayer. And when it says in Acts it was at the hour of prayer, that's a wrong translation from the Greek. It's at the hour of the prayer. And the prayer he was praying was the Amidah, the standing prayer. So you need to know the culture and the context of these things. Now, just as there is such understanding of the first coming of Jesus from the biblical feasts, is the same thing true of the last biblical feast covering his return? I believe absolutely so, and that's based on the fact that God said he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if he fulfilled the spring feast to the day of his first coming, I believe he'll fill the fall feast to the day of his second coming. Now, we have no idea what year, so I'm not setting dates, but I believe that the body of Messiah needs to understand God's divine appointment and get on his day timer so they'll know what to be expecting by doing the dress rehearsal. Why does a believer need your new book and DVD titled Blood Moons Decoding the Imminent Heavenly Signs? Because I believe in these last days, one of the greatest revelations God is giving to his body is to be on the right calendar. We've been on the wrong calendar. 
Uh, and uh, if you remember uh, the Antichrist, he wants to change times and seasons. It's referring to the biblical calendar. We've been following the wrong calendar, and I think it's urgent. Oh, uh, hey, that's pretty interesting. Why would the Antichrist want to get rid of the, of the biblical calendar in the last days? That makes sense, because it decodes all the mysteries in the Bible. It decodes everything about his return. No wonder the Antichrist wants to get rid of it. But I don't even think we need an Antichrist. Most Christians have thrown the Old Testament out. (laughs) Completely. Do you know, Sid, I can show everyone in their Bible where the Apostle John was kicked out of the church, the Jews were kicked out of the church, and any non-Jew who allowed Jews in were kicked out of the church. It's in every Bible, and everybody misses it. But that's how quickly anti-Semitism set in. Now, the fall feasts, which you'll talk about on tomorrow's broadcast, uh, they originally were about things like barley and wheat. But you say in the last days, they're going to be about grapes? Exactly. That's what it says in the book of Revelation, because the season has changed. He's now at the fall feast. These events of the return of the Lord will happen in the fall. And it's so exciting. As they read the book, they see the movie, they're going to get a better understanding of how important God's... Our our time has slipped away. We'll talk about the fall feast on tomorrow's uh, broadcast. However, I want to get the book in your hands... I want to get the DVD in your hands, and it'll all come together when I get this 15-month calendar with original artwork explaining all of the feasts, telling you when the blood moons are, telling you when the eclipses are, telling you what happened in history when these occurred, telling you what the future ones are going to be, all available, the uh, book and DVD for a gift of $49. Call our order-only line, one 800 447-2697, 1-800-447-2697. Mark, uh, you made the statement uh, that God always warns before judgment, and God is getting our attention with a heavenly billboard. What did you mean by the heavenly billboard? Well, that's a, what's amazing is God created the sun and the moon to send signals on his feast days. That's what it says. And so what greater way for God to communicate to believers from every tribe, nation, and tongue equally, but through eclipses falling on his feast days. It's only if we are not on his calendar that we miss the signal. And so here God is warning his body all over the world to get back onto his calendar and to understand what's coming. Well, Do you get this feedback? I'm getting it on people that look at your calendar and your book and your DVD about the blood moons and the biblical feasts and the rehearsals and the uh, warnings that God is giving, uh, that all of a sudden they're exploring the Bible from a whole new perspective. Yes, it's a total paradigm shift. And once the light goes on... I tell you what, they develop such a thirst and a hunger for the Word of God, they become carnivores, meat eaters. You know, Paul says in the Bible, some people are still on milk and they need to be eating meat. Well, I find when they understand these things, all of a sudden they become meat eaters. They jump in. uh, They're all in when it comes to studying the Bible. Well, I happen to believe one of the most supernatural events I have ever heard of in all the years I've been uh, 
uh, researching the supernatural of God is built in to the first feast where the exact timing of the first coming of Jesus and built in to the second group of feasts were the exact timing of the second coming of Jesus. I mean, it is so supernatural. Tell me a bit about uh, his second coming that we have the dress rehearsals for. Give us some clues. Sure. I'll just give a quick summary, then I'll go back and detail them a little bit more. But how many people remember reading about trumpets in the book of Revelation? Well, the next feast to be fulfilled, and they have to be fulfilled in order. Just like the spring feast had to be fulfilled in order, the fall feast will as well. And so the next feast is the Feast of Trumpets, or the blowing of the shofar, representing the coming king. And then you have the Feast of Yom Kippur, which is Israel's National Day of Atonement, when I believe they'll realize that Yeshua is their Messiah. And then comes the Feast of Tabernacles, where now God can tabernacle among men for a thousand-year reign, inaugurating it on the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, on yesterday's broadcast, uh, we ran out of time. I asked you the question, uh, why do you say that these dress rehearsals will no longer be uh, wheat and barley, uh, but be grapes? Sure, exactly. I think it's interesting. In Deuteronomy 16, 16, God said three times everyone's to appear in Jerusalem, and it was for Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles. And so I believe Passover and Pentecost fulfilled the spring feast to the day, and now we've had this long, dry summer for 2,000 years. And now what happens is we now come to the fall feasts, and what do we see? The fall in Israel is the fruit harvest or the grape harvest. So that's why you don't see any reference to wheat or barley in Revelation. You only see the grapes because the events will literally happen in the month of the harvest. And it's talking also about a harvest of souls, just like at the barley harvest and the wheat harvest. And in the Gospels, God says that the, the, the field is the world and the angels are the reapers and they're putting in their sickle. And uh, the harvest is going to be that of the grapes, it says in Revelation. Okay, let, let, let's get a preview of the return of Jesus. Let's start with the Feast of Trumpets. Sure. That represents the coming king. You know what's, what I'd love to do, and we do this every year now with thousands of people all over the world. Can you imagine what it's going to be like when at the procession of crowning Jesus as king of kings and lord of lords, what that's going to be? Well, people need to realize every year they're rehearsing this in heaven. Just like Moses' tabernacle on earth was patterned after what was in the heavenlies, Every Feast of Trumpets, I believe the angelic hosts are worshiping and praising God and rehearsing for His coming, just like anyone would for a wedding or anything else. And we on earth are to be the harmonic resonance, the echo, and we're also supposed to be practicing at the appointed time on the Feast of Trumpets. So like at a baseball game, when they do the wave and a group stands up and waves, and then the next group stands up and waves, we've been having a shofar wave around the world every year on the Feast of Trumpets. We have church and individuals and home fellowships in every time zone blowing shofars, announcing God as king, and then every during when it becomes Rosh Hashanah in their time zone, then everyone around the world blows it when it becomes Rosh Hashanah in Israel. Now, now in Jesus' day and today, how many times at, at Rosh Hashanah do they blow the shofar in the synagogue? Well, 
they blow the shofar 100 times. And that final 100th blast is known as the last trump. So when Paul talks about it, the last trump, he's referring to the last trump on Rosh Hashanah. That will all be changed. And so why would anyone not want to be at the dress rehearsal? Can you imagine? We have like 1,500 people. All of them pretty much are bringing shofars. We're worshiping and praising the king. And then one day, I don't know what year, but some year when we're doing that, all of a sudden we'll join the angelic host. And what an easy transition that will be compared to those who aren't looking, aren't watching, aren't waiting, going about the normal earthly duties, not excited about being at the dress rehearsal. So explain from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 51 to 53, about the last trump and what occurs. Yeah, exactly. In 1 Corinthians 15, uh, you know, what does it say in uh, verse 51 and 52? It says, basically, at the, I'm going to show you a mystery. We're not all going to sleep, but we all shall be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. And that's a Hebrew term, the twinkling of an eye. At the last trumpet, says, the trumpet will sound, the dead will raise uh, incorruptible, and then we'll all be changed. Well, I believe some year this event will happen on the Feast of Trumpets, when the Lord himself will descend, it says, with a shout and with the trump of God. So it's an exciting – why would someone not want to be at that dress rehearsal? That's why every year we rehearse this, and we blow the shofar 100 times. And then at the last blast, everyone blows, and it's very exciting. Well, uh, the Bible talks that the Lord will come like a thief in the night. What does that mean to you? Well, uh, I believe a thief in the night is a very important point, and we need to understand it in context. Because what happened, uh, and this is even mentioned uh, on Jewish websites, that the high priest would come or the captain of the guard in the temple, and if he would find them sleeping, you know, uh, they would, like, set their clothes on fire uh, because they're supposed to be watching. When you read in context who he comes to as a thief in the night, it's to the foolish virgins. It's to the evil servants. It's to the sleeping church. But in First Thessalonians, it says, but you, brethren, are not in darkness that that day will overtake you you as a thief, because he says you know the times and seasons. That's referring directly to the biblical... But, 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 but most Christians don't know the times or seasons, so what does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> it says when he says, but brother, you know the times and seasons, he's referring to the biblical calendar, which is why I felt so compelled to make this biblical calendar, so the church would be able to be on the right calendar. Tell me briefly about your book and DVD called Blood Moons, Decoding the Imminent Heavenly Signs. Sure. Uh, in the book, it's mostly about teaching the church how to decode these imminent signs that are coming, and it's through understanding the biblical calendar, getting on his feast days, being at the dress rehearsal. I go into replacement theology, how we got off the calendar about 2,000 years ago due to anti-Semitism, and why the devil was so smart, just like if anyone uh, could throw away your daytimer or change it so you miss a divine appointment. I mean, people need to realize, I believe you're listeners believe in divine appointments, but they need to realize there's some that are scheduled, you know, and, and so that's why we need this, this book, The Blood Moons, Decoding the Imminent Heavenly Signs, go into why we need to be on God's calendar, so prophetically we can understand when these supernatural events happen. And tell me what we'll learn from the DVD. 
Oh, from the DVD. It is so incredible. The footage, the cinematography. They have actual footage from uh, the 67 war, from the 48 war. It just happened to be blood moons uh, on the feast, which is, which is coming up. Tell me the prophetic significance of Yom Kippur. Okay, sure. Sure. What is Yom Kippur? Yom Kippur is Israel's National Day of Atonement. One of the things people ask me is they read my book and hear what I teach. They wonder, well, how come the Jews don't get it? And, and I tell them, well, look, think about this. When the Jews went to Egypt, they didn't recognize Joseph. How come they didn't recognize Joseph? Because he looked Egyptian. And so the problem today is the church has been presenting an Egyptian Jesus, a blonde, blue-eyed uh, person who's thrown out the Torah, wants nothing to do uh, with anything Jewish. Well, how in the world are they going to recognize him? You know what I'm thinking? When the ambulance comes by warning traffic to pull to the side of the road, they'll be like they won't understand what the siren means. That's what—tell me, just, just in a couple sentences, no more, what it's going to be like at that last blood moon in 2015 that is coming on, on the feast day in Jerusalem. It's going to be so incredible. I think every hotel is going to be sold out when people see this. You're going to have, like, the Christian embassies, Jerusalem. You're going to have Gentiles from all over the world there with the Jews looking at the super blood moon over Jerusalem. I think it's going to be a sense of awe and wonder, and you've got to be there. Now, you won't even know the dates. <laughs> you won't even know the events unless you get the book and DVD Blood Moons, Decoding the Imminent Heavenly Signs. And then I want you to get the Sukkot 2015 calendar. It's the official biblical blood moon eclipse calendar. It tells events that have occurred uh, in the past on these blood moons, <laughs> major historic events, and then events that are about ready to happen by you knowing the exact dates and all of the feasts and explaining what the feasts mean for a gift of $49. I urge you to call her right today. To place a credit card order for today's offer, call anytime at 1-800-447-2697. That's 1-800-447-2697. Or log on to our website at www.sidroth.org. To hear this week's interview or watch archives of our television show, It's Supernatural, visit our website at www.sidroth.org. That's www.sidroth.org. Discover how you can begin watching for free our 24-hour, 7-day-a-week TV network, ISN, the It's Supernatural Network. You can write me at Sid Roth, Post Office Box 39222, Charlotte, North Carolina, 28278. That's Sid Roth, Post Office Box 39222, Charlotte, North Carolina, 28278.